I was preaching a meeting in Bullard, Texas. Many of you might be aware of where Bullard, Texas is. At the First Baptist Church many years ago, and it was during the summer months, somebody left the door open, the air conditioner wasn't working, and when I got up to preach and opened up my Bible, a fly lit on the page I was reading scripture from. Mind you, Texas loyal friends, it wasn't an ordinary fly. It one of them big sap sucker flies that loves to eat animals when they're out in the pasture. And he had landed right on the very verse I was reading. That got my attention. As I began to read, my attention quickened. The fly began to move in the same direction. I was reading, and his body was larger than the scripture. His name is Satan. Beelzebub, the prince of flies. That's one of the devil's names. Doesn't like that at all. I like to talk about things the devil doesn't like. I knew when I came to church this morning, Satan was already here. I knew that. And I began to pray in my office, dear Lord. You combated Satan many, many times in your ministry. Not all the time, but some of the times Satan got as close as he could to the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. For instance, in the garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, he was in a battle, as it were, with the devil. Please do not let that alarm you. If the devil gets mad and leaves, I have no problem with that. If the Lord leaves, I have all the problems in the world with that. We're so glad to have you here today. Only in a Baptist church in Texas can you have a drought for a year and the very Sunday that it rains on you get up and sing heavenly sunlight. I think we're in for a good time this morning, but I also believe we're in for a sober experience from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, verses 1 through 5. And I want to speak to you on the subject, the priority of pleasure. The priority of pleasure. Now, there is a synonym that you could substitute for the word priority, and that is the word importance. Anything that's important usually claims priority. It comes first. So we're speaking this morning on the importance or the priority of pleasure. 
Please pray for me as I endeavor to speak. I never have been a match for the devil, and I never will. But I know a man who is. And that's the Holy Spirit of God. That God's Holy Spirit might rule out any interference whatsoever that would keep me from preaching and hearing as well as you hearing what God has to say in his word. The scripture says this know also that in the last days perilous time shall come. I was arrested in my studies of that little word also. This know also. You say, Brother Cozart, we know just about everything there's to know about election. That's good. That's good. We know a whole lot about the subject of predestination. That's wonderful. That's great. That's good. We know an awful lot about the subject of the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. And when that new birth occurs, that's good. But this, no, also, there's some other things we need to know. Well, what is this also referring to? In the last days, perilous times should come. Now, we need to know that. You need to be versed in that. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. The text in verse 4 is quite obvious. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, when are we going to see that? In the last days. It's going to be predominant. It's going to be visible. It's going to be well known by everybody. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The setting for this passage of scripture. Is to be found in these words. In the last days. If you take notes. I recommend that. If you have a sharp mind and can memorize it all, I also commend that. But this passage setting forth all of human history is divided into three time periods. We try to study when we preach because we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that needeth not to be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of God. 
there are three time periods that define human history. Three time periods. Number one are the beginning days. When did it all start? Life as we know it. In Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This covers a time period from creation to Noah's flood. It is designed to tell us how everything came to be and how it was destroyed. The second division are the continuing days. And what are the continuing days? In Genesis chapter 8 verse 13 and it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And it came to pass. This covers a time from Noah's flood to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It describes the time when Noah and his family got off the ark until the initiation of the new covenant or the new testament. The third division is referred to as the last days. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 2. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. The last days began with the birth of Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. I believe we're living in the last part of the last days. The Apostle Paul proceeds to tell us what we can expect to happen in the last days. He describes it here in 2 Timothy. Pardon me, that's Paul writing to Timothy. This can be compared with what he also says in Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. I wish I had the time that is necessary for me to complete reading these passages. But when you compare Romans 1, 28 through 32, you compare it with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We find in our text, that is in the Timothy reference, it is worse than what you find in the Romans reference. Because in the Romans reference, we see the activity that will be going on in the world. Whereas in 2 Timothy, we see what will be going on in the church in the last day. Verse 5 says, having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness, the world has no form of godliness. 
There's nothing about this world that has any appearance of godliness whatsoever. But you see, the church has a form of godliness. Now, of those things which will begin to happen within the church, I want to call attention to my text in verse number four, lovers of pleasures. And that word pleasure is pluralized. Lovers of pleasures. We don't just want one pleasure. We want a whole lot of them. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. If one loves pleasure more than he loves God, then pleasure has become his priority. Pleasure is taking over the churches today. 2022. And we wonder in stupid indifference what's wrong with the churches today. They're simply lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Would you consider with me this morning the philosophy of hedonism? Hedonism is a philosophical term and it means what the Greek original word speaks of. Lovers of pleasure comes from the Greek word philae donos. Philae Donos. Philae means love and donos means pleasure. A hedonist is a person who places priority on pleasure. This does not necessarily refer, let me repeat that, this does not necessarily refer to the base sins of the flesh as drinking, drugs, and fornication. It certainly includes that, but it's not limited to that. But anything that produces pleasure, anything that produces pleasure and satisfaction, it is the highest goal that a person can come to, that being pleasure and satisfaction. Whenever you are filled with pleasure, whenever I'm filled with pleasure and satisfaction, we won't have any room for anything else because we're satisfied. The hippie generation came along many years ago and they expressed it this way, if it feels good, do it. That's hedonism. And we're seeing that fulfilled in the very day and time in which we live. If it feels good, do it. You want to kill somebody? Shoot them, it's all right. Nobody's going to hurt you for it. Go ahead and do what you want to do. Pleasure. Now, let's consider the emergence of heavenism in the church. The onslaught of heavenism in the church. The flesh loves to be pampered. If you have not found that to be true, you've got a lot to learn. Flesh loves to be pampered and made to feel good. That's why in a picture, when your picture's taken with a group, you always want to find out what you look like before you look at the rest of the picture. 
Are we okay with this today? Going all right with it? All right. It was not long after Christ started the church that the pleasure seekers began to creep in. In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, we just got through reading from chapter 3, read verses 3 and 4 in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. What does it say? For the time will come when they will not endure, that means they'll not put up with, sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. Paul saw it beginning to break in upon the church in his day. He knew soon that many in the church would turn away from doctrine and desire preachers and teachers who would scratch their itch. I don't have a dog, but I've noticed that dogs are addicted to having their ears scratched. Who knows that? Even if they don't like you, if you scratch their ears, you'll make a friend for life. They love it. And Baptists are worse than dogs. Love to have their ears scratched. Itching ears or tingling ears. Ears seeking to hear something to make them feel good. Boy, I've had a tough week. It's been a long week. Man, I come to church, I want somebody to make me feel better. I want to feel good. That's lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They would prefer entertainment of fables rather than the exhortation of truth. John the Baptist would have trouble competing with some of the comedians on television. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, we'll come back in a moment to our text. But in the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, verses 14 through 17, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you sayest, I am rich, I am increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art poor and blind and naked. This is the lukewarm church of those seven churches in the earlier chapters of Revelation. It is the book of Laodicea. The word Laodicea means to please the people. Isn't that strange? It was a lukewarm church, neither hot nor cold, but their whole purpose was to please the people. Pleasure had set in. I saw a sign not too long ago that advertised a church with great form. And I'm quoting that. A church with great form. What in the world does that mean? 
had a lot of thorns. Another church, and I will not mention that church by name, advertised they have a full-service church. Now, I guess the rest of us Baptists, we have a part full Baptist church. But they got a full church at this particular what, what do they mean by that? It means that anything and everything in the world you want to see to make you happy, you can find it there. Now, don't get angry at me. Open your Bible and cuss God about it. It's God's word. This is what the scripture says. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Galatians chapter 1 verse number 10. For do I now, Paul says, persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Paul said, is this what I'm about? To speak in such a way that men will be pleased with the things I have to say. Do I seek to please men? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, for he may, or that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now consider quickly the evidence of heavenism in churches today. The evidence, the proof that there's a lot of Lovers of pleasure in the churches today. You've heard me make mention of mega churches. Listen, dear friends, I want as many people as we can cram into this auditorium. I would like to see it so full and so packed we'd have to tear down the walls and make it bigger to hold more people. As long as you don't compromise the message in order to get the people. The mega church marketing program, you know what it is? It is this. Give the people what they want and they'll come back. It is built on felt needs and not spiritual needs. What do you mean felt needs? Well, if you come to church and you have a felt need in your life, whatever that is, it's up to the preacher to give you something to take care of that felt need. No, no. It's up to him to preach the spiritual truth of God's word. I held a meeting up in Millington, Tennessee, up to not too far from Memphis. And uh, one Sunday, one of the churches had Western Sunday. We're going to have Western Sunday. The preacher came in on a white horse. Huh. Now, isn't that something? And everybody thought that's the greatest thing that ever happened in our church, brother. The emphasis on gospel entertainment make people laugh and they will return. How many of you remember? You may not remember this, but I surely do. It's vivid in my mind. That a church over in Longview, Texas, this has been years and years ago. I don't think I'd get by with it now, but years and years ago, they advertised there's going to have folk members 
parachuting out of an airplane onto the parking lot if they just come to Sunday school and come to church. That's how more than we've ever had before to see the folks thrown out of the airplane. <laughs> this snow also. September the 22nd, 2004, and I put the date down so I wouldn't forget that. September 22, 2004, I received a call from a Christian comedy evangelist who wanted to come to our church and present Christian comedy to us. I said, I'm just so glad you called. <laughs> I have a word or two for you. One of the largest Baptist churches in Tyler, Texas, sent out brochures all over the city advertising their church. Their church in the brochure advertised and provides 27 things for those who attend. I held the brochure in my hand and I went down the list and the top of the list, the first thing mentioned was fun and laughter. This way you come to have fun. This way you come to have laughter. But there was no mention anywhere in that brochure the name of Jesus Christ. This know also. The devil's mission of amusement was written by Archibald Brown. I want you to be patient for this. It's something you need to hear. If I did not really believe that and was not convicted that this is what you I wouldn't waste the time it takes. But Archibald Brown was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. As Charles Spurgeon preached in his pulpit, Archibald Brown preached in his. He was a contemporary. As a matter of fact, he was the man that preached the funeral of Charles Spurgeon when he died, Archibald Brown. I quote from Mr. Brown's booklet. He lived 1844 to 1922, over a hundred years and more of what was going on in England at that time. He says different days demand their own special testimony. The watchman who would be faithful to his Lord and the city of his God has need to carefully note the signs of the times and emphasize his witness accordingly. Concerning the testimony needed now, there can be little, if any, doubt. And evil is in the professed camp of the Lord. So gross, so brazen in its impudence, that the most short-sighted of spiritual men can hardly fail to notice it. During the past few years, it has developed at an abnormal rate, even for evil. It has worked like leaven until now the whole lump ferments. Look what way you may. Its presence makes itself manifest. There is little, if anything, to choose between Christ between church, between chapel, or between the mission hall. However, they may differ in some respects, yet bear a striking likeness in the posters 
that figure upon and disfigure their notice boards. Amusement for the people is the leading article advertised by each. If any of my readers doubt my statement or think my utterance too sweeping, the announcements of the week of the doors of the sanctuary and of the neighborhood need to be read. Or let them read the religious advertisements in the local papers. I've done this again and again until the hideous fact has been proved up to the hilt that amusement is ousting the preaching of the gospel as the great attraction. Concerts. That's what he said. Concerts. Entertainments. Fancy fairs. Smoking conference. I don't know what in the world a smoking conference is. Dramatic performances are the words honored with biggest type and most startling colors. The concert is fast becoming as much a recognized part of church life as the prayer meeting and is already in most places far better attended. Providing recreation for the people will soon be looked upon a necessary part of Christian work and is binding upon the church of God as though it were a divine command unless some strong voices be raised which will make themselves heard. I do not presume to possess, possess such a voice, but I do entertain the hope that I may awaken some louder echoes. Just a little bit more. Anyway, as he continues, the burden of the Lord is upon me in this matter, and I leave it with him to give my testimony, ringing tone or let it die away in silence. I shall have delivered my soul in either case. It is only during the past few years that amusement has become a recognized weapon in our warfare and developed into a mission. There has been a steady downgrade in this respect. From speaking out as the Puritans did, the church has gradually toned down her testimony, then winked at and excused the frivolities of the day. Then she has tolerated them in her borders, and now she has adopted them and provided a home for them under the plea of reaching the masses and getting the ear of the people. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting to the church of Christ that part of her mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view of winning them into their ranks. Amen. The human nature lies in every heart. It has risen to the bait. Here now is an opportunity of gratifying the flesh and yet retaining a comfortable conscience. We can now please ourselves in order to do good to others. The rough old cross can be exchanged for a costume. And the exchange can be made with the benevolent purpose of elevating the people. All of this is terribly sad 
and the more so because truly gracious souls are being led away by the specious pretext that it is a form of Christian work. They forget that a seemingly beautiful angel may be the devil himself. For Satan is transformed into an angel of light. I'm not going to give you any more of that. that that'll, that'll hang on for a few years. Providing amusement for the people is nowhere spoken of in the Holy Scripture as one of the functions of the church. You'll not find it in the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. You don't find where our Lord added and provide amusement for those who don't want to hear the gospel. In Matthew 10, 14, for those who are unwilling to hear the message of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, shake the dust off your feet. Not apologize for offending and offer entertainment instead. I mean, you can come to our church. We do everything in our church. We have a full service. You do not find it in his gifts to the church. In the book of Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 11 and 12, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, of the, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. You do not find where he put public entertainers in the church. Entertainment has nothing to do with the salvation of souls. It is the preaching of the cross. It appears to be foolishness to the world, but for those of us who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Not the presentation of comedians that brings about salvation. You'll not find it laughter and a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction, laughable things. You won't find it in the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter number 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The prophets were not persecuted because they amused the people but because of their preaching the truth. I want to repeat that. The prophets were not persecuted because that they amused the people. They were persecuted because they preached the truth. Jeremiah was placed in a pit to die because of his message of, in, of, of oncoming judgment. They took Isaiah, tradition says, and put him inside of a hollow log. And once they got him inside the hollow log, they cut the log right half in two. Isaiah. John the Baptist lost his head because preaching truth was priority for him. Providing amusement for the people is in direct antagonism to the teaching and life of Christ 
and his apostles. The attitude of the church toward the world should not be imitation, but separation. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the world, but be changed or transformed by the renewing of your mind, that which is good and perfect will of God. The Lord Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. Remember that? In the Sermon on the Mount? You are the salt of the world. Someone has said, and rightly so, we're not the cotton candy and the jelly beans of the world. Salt makes people spit up, not smile. Huh? In John chapter number 15, Gospel of John chapter number 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The Lord said that. In John chapter 17, verse number 14. I have given them thy word, and the word hath hated, and the world, pardon me, I've butchered that. Let me reread it. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, said by Christ himself. And of course in John chapter 6, that's the bread of life chapter where Christ got so personal and, and so clear with the application of the word that many of his disciples turned and said, we don't have to endure this, we'll go somewhere else to church. They'd rather go somewhere else that is not preached that way. You understand what I'm saying? The apostles did not include entertainment in their services. Paul, for instance, in Galatians 6.14, said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 10, Do I seek to please men? And if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Brother James said in James chapter Verse 4, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. The final analysis of it is the scripture speaks out against hedonism. Hedonism. 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Have you ever read that? That's so. That's 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, not a bed of fun and pleasure. 
Hebrews 11.25 tells us that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Pleased God. Man's highest calling is not to find pleasure for himself, but to please God. We have a faithful group of people in this church, and some of you have paid the price or had to pay some of the price for what you believe the word of God teaches in this church. Do we say you're not supposed to smile? I didn't say a thing in the world about smiling. Did he say we're supposed to walk around with a sad sack face? No, I didn't say anything about that. I'm just saying that lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God has invaded our churches. Let's make them feel good and they'll keep coming back. You've been so kind to listen to me this morning. God put this message upon my heart and I tried to dismiss it and I could not dismiss it and so I wanted to share it with you. The man I referred to from which I quoted Archibald Brown has a final statement and it's not long but I close with that statement. He says in his little booklet cease to amuse and seek to arouse. Shun the clap of a delighted audience and listen for the sobs of a convicted audience. Give up trying to please men who have only the thickness of their ribs between their souls and hell. And warn and plead and entreat as those who feel the waters of eternity creeping upon them. And dear friends, we're living in a day when the waters of eternity are creeping in upon us. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know this, that God lives and he rules and he never makes a mistake and he'll always do what's right. And we preach that in this church, that God is absolutely sovereign and that what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, he didn't waste his time. He died for a people when he died on the cross, and everyone for whom he died will come to him and trust him as Lord and Savior, because salvation is by the pure, unadulterated grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? My dear friend Barnwell Anderson from Jacksonville, a cripple for most of his life, always blessed my heart and my soul when he preached. And usually when he finished his message, that's what he said. I finished my message. That's it. Now, you know what? The responsibility is tough. I got to do something with it. And you've got to do something with it. Avoid having a desire for the light.
frivolous things to make our church grow or God give us God sent men that will preach God's truth regardless of the cost of it and stick with it and be faithful to it you pray for me and I'll continue to pray for you and we'll continue to love each other as Christ has loved us let's stand please for prayer would you please Dear Father in heaven, forgive our stumbling 